The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Are we about to enter a new bull market for stocks, or will this big recent run leave investors heartbroken again? We'll dig in. Surprise stimulus. China's central bank cutting interest rates. Big money in big oil. Saudi Aramco posting a 90% jump in quarterly profits. Bitcoin doing something this weekend that we have not seen in months. And your morning RBI has an incredibly random but interesting stat on Apple and stock buybacks. You're going to hear it coming up on this Monday, August 15th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Why don't we kick off your trading week with a check on the markets and your money. Right now, stock futures not giving us a lot of help. They are mildly lower on this Monday, down about three-tenths of one percent in the red. Dow futures off 137 points. Now, all this coming off what has been a really nice few weeks for stocks. In fact, last week, all the major averages were up 2.5% or more. Small caps were the big winner. The Russell 2000 up nearly 5% last week. It is now up 18% in just one month. Something to watch. In the bond market, bond yields continue to stay flat. The 10-year yield around 2.8%. And hard to believe, but true, that that is the same level the 10-year yield was at back in mid-April. All this machination All this Fed stuff, all this sturm and drang, and we're back to the levels of spring in bond yields. All right, let's check energy, oil and natural gas. Crude oil is slightly lower right now, holding just above 90 bucks a barrel. And over the weekend, Saudi Aramco posting an incredible quarter. The oil giant making more than $48 billion in net income last quarter. Natural gas, by the way, down a few ticks here, but in Europe... It is still above 60 U.S. dollars equivalent. We're at 861 here. They're at 60. And the best performing group of all last month, that was Ether. Let's check cryptos, shall we? Bitcoin did top 25,000 over the weekend. The first time that has happened since early June. It's back below that at 24,000 and change. Ether, by the way, also a little bit lower, but overall is up 62% in just one month. Wow. All right, a couple of big global market stories that are breaking overnight. Some new data showing Japan's economy expanded in the second quarter. But the 2.2% GDP number did fall short of estimates. And get this, in China, the People's Bank of China cutting two key interest rates, all in an attempt to boost their economy there as they can continue to lock down over their COVID zero policy. Let's get more on these and see how your markets are doing. Germana Bisecchi is in our London newsroom. Good morning, Germana. Morning, Brian. So as you mentioned, Asian markets are actually digesting a lot of the data that came through overnight, starting with Chinese markets. Of course, we did have that weaker retail sales data, much weaker industrial output data as well that set the tone. So Shanghai Composite ending the session 
just below the flat line, barely so, about two basis points weaker. Hang Seng in Hong Kong down about seven-tenths of a percentage point. But uh, one other major development, as you touched on, is the fact that the Chinese central bank decided to cut interest rates for the second time this year. The PBOC lowered its one-year medium-term lending facility on $400 billion worth of loans to some financial institutions by 10 basis points to 2.75%. Some people say that 10 basis points, 10 basis points. how much is it really going to move the needle? But point is, they did actually cut interest rates when all other central banks are hiking. You can see the Nikkei in Japan also up 1.1 percentage points, better GDP data there. As for European markets, well, taking our cue from Asian markets, for the most part, we are trading positive today. Some of the uh, miners, basic resources, any commodities names are, are struggling a little bit on back of the weaker Chinese industrial output data. But you can see the FTSE 100 is up nicely, up about a tenth of a percentage point. Kekahont in France up two-tenths of a percentage point. And then the German index is basically flat. One name we're looking at there is HelloFresh. The meal kit company is up about nine percentage points a day, right at the top of the stock 600. But in general, starting off the week with a very positive gains behind me, a lot of green on the board after stock 600 pulled in a 1.1% gain for the week last week. Brian. All right, Jumana Brissetti, thank you very much. All right, now to some of this morning's top corporate and economic headlines, including more American lawmakers going to Taiwan. Pippa Stevens in the house with those and more. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Brian. Well, starting with Elon Musk. He says Tesla has now made more than 3 million cars with a third manufactured at the company's Shanghai factory. The EV maker's CEO tweeting yesterday, quote, congrats, Giga Shanghai, on making a millionth car. Shares of Tesla are down about 15 percent this year. And a group of U.S. lawmakers arrived in Taiwan yesterday for a two-day trip. The delegation is being led by Senator Ed Markey and includes four House representatives. They are meeting with Taiwan's president today. The trip, of course, follows House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's controversial visit earlier this month and comes as military tensions between the island and China remain high. And back on Wall Street, earnings season is coming to a close. A number of big-name retailers will post results this week. More than 90 percent of S&P companies have reported so far. And of those names, about 78 percent have topped profit expectations. Refinitive reports overall S&P 500 earnings are on pace to have grown by 9.7 percent year over year, Brian, with much of that coming from the energy sector. Energy, something we both talk about a lot. Pippa Stevens, good morning. We'll see you back in a few minutes. All right, Pippa, thank you very much. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money and the growing hope that stocks really did hit a bottom a couple of weeks ago. On Friday, the S&P 500 closed at 4,280. That means the index has recovered, or what they call retraced, more than half of its drop from the highs. Why does that matter? Well, it may not, but check this out. In a note earlier this month, Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG points out that since 1950, there has never been a bear market rally that had a 50% bounce back and then went on to make new cycle lows. That is random but interesting. Let's talk about it with Robert Teeter. He is the head of investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good to have you back on. I mean, what do they say? Past performance is no guarantee of the future or whatever it may be on Wall Street. But that's a pretty interesting stat. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. It is an interesting stat. And I do think we've made a lot of progress off the lows here. And I think part of that is that some of the 
worst case scenarios, the probabilities are declining somewhat on those. And we've seen that with some of the change in tone on both the economy and inflation, where recent data has been a little bit better than expected. Yeah, and maybe some of the panic around the economy, panic around the Fed, panic around whatever it may be that people are panicking about this week, that seems to, like Elvis, has left the building. Yes, I I think that's right. We have a lot of things coming up to to look ahead to to see what the next signals are uh, from the Fed and some of the remaining earning estimates coming up. But I do think the worst case scenarios are coming off the table. When things are getting a little bit better, when you see CPI and PPI uh, potentially peaking last month, that takes some of that really bad scenario off the table. And I think there were a lot of fears on the economy as well. Uh, We, like others, monitor all of the different models out there on the economy. Atlanta Fed nailed it first quarter and second quarter, pointing to negative economic growth. Um, They have a positive estimate for third quarter. So that's been a turnaround as well. So quite a bit of changes supporting this. I think it's not just a change in sentiment, but actually the fundamentals getting a little bit better on the economy and certainly getting a little bit better on inflation, maybe a bit of light at the end of the tunnel there. I mean, yeah, 8.5% inflation, amazing that it's considered good because it didn't rise, but I, I get the directional change or what they call the delta on Wall Street. I'm not talking about airlines. Where are some of the best places to invest right now, Robert? Well, we think it's still important to remain balanced. You know, the difficult thing with this cycle has been predicting the timing. The cycle's been moving a lot quicker than I think most people expect. Um, however, as you point out, inflation is still high. So while it might be coming in the right direction, the numbers are still pretty hot. So some of those things on the cyclical side, whether it's energy, industrial materials, still probably have a bit of runway in front of them. But on the other hand, the economic growth slowing down tells you that you want to be with companies that are capable of generating positive organic growth. And that leads you to the technology side. So we've been trying to neutralize that bet a little bit with a bit of a balance between the more cyclical sectors and the more organic growers. Oh, so in your, in your view at Silvercrest, their technology, which has been obviously the big winner of the last I don't know, decade remains a solid place to invest. I think I think it's still attractive when you're in a world where economic growth is declining and slow. So that growth is scarce. Technology still delivers positive top line growth and earnings growth. And I think that will be in demand as we go forward. You know, one of the things that that we've pointed to is that this economy was in a pretty slow growth rate heading into covid longer term, we think that trend still continues. So a lot of the noise that we've seen has been caused by this crazy cycle we've lived through the last two years. But when we eventually get to the full other side of it, uh, after all the aftershocks, it's probably still a relatively slow growth world for the U.S. Not negative, but slow. And that means that you need to go to places where you can find some growth. Yeah, but hey, if it's not negative, Robert, maybe slow is the new good Because at least it's not negative. We shall see, right? That's the world we're in right now. Robert Teeter of Silvercrest, we appreciate your views. Thanks for getting up early, Robert. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we come back, from Wall Street to Washington, clean energy, one of the biggest buzzwords of all. But now that the mansion spending bill is becoming law, where can money be made? Dan Pickering is in the virtual house, and he's got some big ideas on just that coming up. But as we head to break, check out some of this morning's early pre-market winners and losers. We're going to leave you that. Dow features up down, rather down 133. Pretty much everything is down. Oil, crypto, a lot of stocks. We're glad you're up, though. Happy Monday. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Good Monday morning. Apparently, there is still big money to be made in big oil. Saudi Aramco posting a 90% jump in second quarter profits driven by crude oil's price rise. The company's second quarter net income was $48.4 billion, easily topping estimates. And RBC notes that Aramco's underlying cash flow from operations was an incredible $59 billion. The Saudi oil giant says it wants to raise its maximum oil output from 12 million barrels per day now to 13 million barrels per day by the year 2027, five years from now. All right, that is oil and gas, but let's talk more about so-called clean energy. The Inflation Reduction Act looking to benefit those who invest in renewables. The bill says it will provide incentives for things like rooftop solar panels and energy-efficient appliances with up to 10000 in tax breaks and rebates available to you, the consumer. All this is part of an effort to more quickly transition America to a cleaner future for energy. Let's talk more about what this broader energy landscape means with our friend Dan Pickering, CIO of Pickering Energy Partners. And Dan, I don't know if you got up or just stayed up, but either way, we certainly appreciate it, my friend. It is a, a big topic, and we need to hear your views. Uh, how much does this law, it's not a bill, it's going to be, a, it's a law, change the game for renewable investors? Ryan, good morning. It's, it, it's a big deal. Um, we're talking about $370 billion toward uh, clean energy. Power gets most of it, $260 billion to the power sector, which we really need. Uh, you you jumpstart the economics around uh, solar and wind, uh, battery storage as well. So this is something that's going to create a lot of investment, makes the economics of a lot of clean energy technologies better. And so uh, if we're going to hit net zero by 2050 or get anywhere close, we're going to have to do things like this. And so it's a, it's a meaningful step in the process. Yeah, good news there. We're showing some stocks, Sunrun, Sonova, Enphase, Energy. I mean, many of them have had run-ups. But you look at it like a Sonova, Dan. I mean, companies that are helping you put solar on your roof, you know, power a battery pack to power that plug-in electric car that you've got. You know, not you, but the rhetorical you in in your garage, Dan, although maybe it is you. Who knows? But residential solar has been a tough business so far. It has been. But I think when you look at at some of the things that come across through this act, it's it's making the economics of uh, installing that rooftop solar better. And at the same time, Brian, what you've got is you've got rising power prices that are coming from your traditional sources of energy. So People are going to start to feel the pinch in their utility bills. Nothing like Europe, but it's going to be meaningful here uh, as natural gas prices make, make their way through utility bills. And so 
uh, the ability to get off the grid, if you will, and supplement with your own rooftop solar, I think is going to be something that looks more economically compelling than it has over the last decade. Yeah, and, and that's something you and I have talked about extensively, these high power costs, people's power bills, they're going to get sticker shocks this winter. It sounds like you think that might drive them to say, you know what, I got to get off the grid. Not even, maybe not even their environmental. They're just saying, I'm just getting crushed by my utility. I'm going to produce my own power. Why is Sonova or a, a winner? Or do you just go with an iClean, ICLN ETF and kind of just throw your fates to the wind, so to speak? Yeah, I think that that a Sonova or a Sunrun, you know, specific plays, they're they're going to see an acceleration in their revenues here. Stocks are up a bunch. I mean, that's the biggest challenge right now is the past month has put between 50 and 150 percent on a lot of these names. Uh, The iClean ETF is a little bit more diversified. Solar is a big piece of it. But then you've got exposure to other uh, clean technologies. So it's, it's a bit more diversified. I think the you know, the, the key question here for investors is if you buy some here, will you buy some down 15 or 20 percent on a pullback, whether that's the market or in this sector? And if you can answer the question, yes, then, you know, these names look pretty interesting here. Yeah, I mean, you're in Texas, which people don't realize. They always think oil and gas. People don't realize Texas is the biggest producer of renewable power. I mean, it's hard to believe, but true in part because they need the renewable power to power the refineries for oil, which I find incredibly ironic. That said, Dan, you had mentioned at the beginning of this interview, the grid, sort of getting power to where we are. Are those going to be the ultimate winners? Because it doesn't matter how much power you make. If you can't reliably get it to people or companies, it doesn't matter. That's right. So, Brian, this is a this is going to be a 20 or 30 year process where renewables become a bigger part of of the electricity generation for the U.S. and for the globe. If you look at where we're at today, 20% renewables in the U.S. Uh, by 2030, you know, the goal is to get to 30 plus percent. By 2050, it's 50 plus percent. Uh, if we're going to get there, we've got to have a better electric distribution system. A lot of money in the prior spending bill uh, to support grid expansion, but we're going to have to have ability to store this renewable power. So batteries are going to matter. So this is not a This is not a two-year process. This is a 20-year process, and we're going to have to rebuild a lot of what uh, we already have built or expand it dramatically. So this is going to be a a very meaningful part of the U.S. economy. And I guess that chime sounds the end of the interview, Dan. 20% renewable overall. I mean, listen, we're jealous of you guys. We're at 3% renewables in the mid-Atlantic, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. I mean, absolutely dismal in 2022. Dan Pickering, love your views. Love having you on, Dan. Don't be a stranger. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. All right. All right. Still to come, what a new 1% tax on stock buybacks might mean for Apple and maybe the broader market. The answer, well, it's random, but interesting, of course, and it's coming your way. Today's big number, $1.43 billion. That's the projected population of India in 2023, according to the UN, making it the most populous nation on Earth. The global population is expected to top 8 billion people later this year. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Get to check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business, including sad story out of Israel. NBC's Philip Men is in New York with that and more. Philip. Brian, good morning. Uh, The FBI and DHS have issued a new warning that threats to federal law enforcement have spiked ever since the surge of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago. The threats are occurring mostly online. Feds have seen personal identifying information of possible targets, such as home addresses and the identification of family members. Secret Service is hardening security at its posts and locations like the White House. And the FBI headquarters and field offices are taking security steps as well. And as you mentioned, Brian, in Jerusalem, eight people are injured after a shooting attack that appears to have targeted Jewish pilgrims. Among the injured, five Americans, including four from the same family. The suspect, a Palestinian resident of Jerusalem, later turned himself in. One of his relatives has also been arrested. Author Salman Rushdie is on the road to recovery. His family says the 75-year-old is awake and talking just two days after he was attacked and stabbed on stage. His son said, quote, though his life-changing injuries are severe, his usual feisty and defiant sense of humor remains intact. He was stabbed an estimated 12 times Friday, just as he was supposed to give a lecture on freedom of speech. The accused attacker, 24-year-old Hadi Matar, faces second-degree attempted murder and assault charges. He has pleaded not guilty. Law enforcement officials say the suspect was inspired by Iran-related extremism. Iran has denied any involvement in the attack. That's it from here, Brian. Send it back to you. Yeah, and of course, Iran putting a $3 million bounty on Rushdie's head decades ago. I'm glad to hear that he's getting better. Philip Mena, thank you very much. You got it. All right, coming up, President Biden preparing to sign the $430 billion climate and tax bill into law. It's meant to help with the environment, so... Why might it actually hurt electric car sales? We'll talk about that coming up. And by the way, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast, available on all the major podcasting platforms. It's called Worldwide Exchange. Check it out. We're back right after this. The American shopper in focus as the biggest retailers in the country get set to roll out their results and forward guidance. Washington Watch, President Biden set to sign Joe Manchin's big climate and spending bill into law. So why might the climate bill actually hurt electric car sales? We'll hit that ahead. And why the tax man can be coming for you, even if you're not rich. The IRS is back to crack down on three types of people. We'll tell you about it coming up on this Monday, August 15th, right here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. It's about uh, 528 on the East Coast. Thanks for getting up early and kicking off your week here with Worldwide Exchange. And why don't we kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures, they are not showing momentum coming off the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's really been a nice run for equities. Right now, not seeing that follow-through. Dow futures down 156, or about three-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ right about the same, although fair value is implied up. Put it this way, the markets, maybe not quite a coin flip. We're probably not far off of that. All coming off that momentum we just talked about. The major averages up 2.5% or more last week alone. And with that rise last week, 
The S&P 500 has now gained back about half of its losses for the year. We're still down, but we've gained back about half. So at least maybe we're in the right direction. Small caps, though, last week, they really last month have been the big winner. The Russell 2000 doesn't get a lot of love, but maybe it should. It was up nearly 5% last week, and that index is now up 18% in just one month. In fact, the Russell 2000 on Friday closed above its 200-day moving average for the first time since all the way back on January 4th. And two stocks, the meme favorite Bed Bath & Beyond and Rainier Corp, have doubled in just 24 trading days. You go, small caps. Meantime, in energy, let's check oil and natural gas. Crude oil is actually coming down a little bit this morning. Over the weekend, Saudi Aramco posting an incredible quarter. The oil giant making more than $48 billion in net income. Crude oil right now is back below 90 bucks a barrel at 88.80. Natural gas down a bit to $8.63. But in Europe, still a tough story. And in fact, they continue to deal with heat waves and drought. In fact, the Rhine River in Germany, which is one of the main economic waterways, really arteries of any kind in Germany, now below certain levels, which may make barge traffic, oil, gas, goods, the coal they're going to need for the winter because of all their power problems, may make it impassable. They're just dealing with so much right now in Europe. Natural gas there at 60 US dollars. All right, the shrunk down spending bill known as Build Back Better is now coming into law as the more smartly marketed Inflation Reduction Act. President Biden expected to sign the measure this week, even though many nonpartisan analysis, including the government's own data, suggest it won't do anything to actually reduce inflation. With that said, it's here and it's happening. And now we need to figure out what is really in it and if there are investment opportunities around it. The Manchin and Schumer bill's biggest spend is with energy sources like solar, wind and nuclear. There are some gifts to oil and gas also tucked neatly into the bill, particularly some gifts to the pipeline companies. The law also has a huge provision for healthcare spending with the ability to cap the prices on the 10 biggest drugs, but that doesn't begin until the year 2026. So let's talk more now about the law as well as what is next for Congress and the run-up to the midterms with Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst Raymond James, his notes, always a must-read along the I-95 corridor. And Ed, you make me smarter, so I appreciate all you do working over the weekend. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not trying to be mean to the bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, they could call it the Green Turtle Act for all it matters because not a lot of people think we're going to have a lot of inflation reduction ability in that, at least not in the near term until 2026 when that health care spending provision kicks in. What are your biggest takeaways from the the soon-to-be law? Yeah, Brian, I think the biggest takeaways is that Democrats are in array versus Democrats in disarray. Uh, They've gotten some momentum, and I think the way you describe the market right now, they've had a nice run, but does it stall out from here um, in terms of the market? Uh, Could be described to the political chances of Democrats as well. In terms of the bill, Um, compared to the expectations that they had set versus what's in it, it's a significant change. But compared to what Democrats thought they were going to be able to get done um, as recently as a couple of weeks ago versus what's getting signed into law is a significant increase. You highlight the health care provisions. We've discussed this at Raymond James as actually a clearing event 
Uh, for pharma, does this give the kind of uncertainty around prescription drug negotiations that's existed since Hillary Clinton ran for president? Does that get lifted because we know how Washington will act? We see a positive benefit um, as it relates to insurers and hospitals because there's certainty around how people's insurance is going to be taken care of over the next couple of years. And you really highlighted uh, quite well a lot of the energy provisions uh, that are in the bill. And we'll see later this year if Congress comes back and removes some of the permitting barriers that even further accelerate some of the benefits to the energy sector. And if that gets done on a bipartisan basis, probably after the election. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, you look at pipeline companies, they've had a lot of insider buying. We talked about energy transfer getting a $30 billion insider buy last week. So some of the insiders there are optimistic maybe about these pipeline permitting provisions that, that may be in this bill with, I guess, what it is, the secondary vote, Ed, that they're going to have. I know a lot of Democrats are angry about it, but they had to get things done. Where, do, where exactly does that pipeline permitting provision stand? So what's going to happen here, and this was key in getting Senator Manchin's vote, is that there was a negotiation that Senator Manchin had been having on a bipartisan basis after the start in the war in Ukraine uh, with his Republicans. Remember, he's the chair of the Energy Committee. So he had a whole package of what he thought he could get significant Republican support for. He clearly is not going to get the Republicans to vote for that today before the election, especially after um, he didn't tell the full truth related to his negotiations with Democrats on reconciliation. But after the election, the plan is, is to have a uh, bipartisan energy bill that goes through the Senate that could get 60 votes that removes a lot of the red tape um, for kind of the permitting process in the construction process for a lot of these large energy infrastructure uh, provisions. And as we are getting into the winter and all of the concerns yeah. that you highlighted in Europe, um, that's a perfect time to have a market positive coming out of Congress at a time when you didn't expect to have that come out of Congress. All in all, a net positive in the bill, particularly for energy, Ed? Absolutely. I think that energy is a big surprise. And I think healthcare uh, it gets covered as, oh, this is a negative because there's going to be prescription drug pricing. But you highlighted it's going to take several years before that happens. And it's limited to 10 drugs. There's nothing that prohibits people from establishing their list price. I think there's going to be kind of more activity uh, within M&A within the pharmaceutical space, as well as for hospitals. Yeah, big win for Big Pharma there. Not happening for four years, and many people think they're just going to make up that difference by charging private insurers more. Uh, the big money always wins. Ed Mills, Raymond James. Yeah, appreciate your work, Ed. Thanks for getting up. Take care. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning RBI and a random but massive stat about Apple and stock buybacks. Stay tuned. Time for your morning RBI, and today let's get a little random but interesting about stock buybacks. They are a huge part of the market the last few years. If you think that's typical TV hyperbole, think again. There have been over 100 major companies to announce a buyback just this year. And according to Ed Yardeni and Yardeni Research, the annualized value of those buybacks is more than $1 trillion. You heard right, a trillion, not a billion. That is the most ever, but... But actually not by much. Buybacks have been around a trillion bucks a year for a couple of the past few years. 
which has reduced the number of shares in the stock market by a lot and probably helped fatten your returns as well. But could that all change? The Biden spending bill has a new tax on share buybacks. Not a lot, it's only 1%. But some think it could make companies rethink their buyback plans or cut them back altogether. It is one of the big money raisers in the law that is designed to balance out a bunch of the spending. And no company would be more impacted by this than the biggest company in the world, and arguably one of the most, if not the most, important company to the stock market, Apple. In the past 10 years, Apple has spent or announced more than $500 billion on buying back its own stock, more than any other company by far. And it's actually about twice as much as Apple spends on things like Research and development, if you can believe that. And check out this random but interesting stat and tweet from Charlie Bellello of Compound Capital. He calculates that Apple has spent, or announced it will spend, $522 billion on buybacks over the past 10 years. And that amount is more than the market cap of 494 companies in the S&P 500. So Apple has spent more on buybacks than the entire value of more than, what, 99.9% of all other companies in the entire American stock market. Oh, by the way, Apple still has hundreds of billions of cash on its books. Amazing. So why do you care? Maybe you don't own Apple stock, or maybe you even use an Android phone. Because if you own any part of the overall market, you should care. Apple is the top holding in hundreds of funds or ETFs. If it goes up or down, it can move the entire stock market. And given its giant propensity for buying back its own stock, we'll see if this little 1% tax will have a much bigger impact on the overall market. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, let's stay on the topic of everybody's favorite topic, and that is taxes. And talk about how the IRS plans to use about half its new $80 billion in funding to hire more agents and crack down on tax cheats. Robert Frank joining us now with a story Robert, this is the, the story that the politicians really don't want to talk about when they brag about their bill. Yeah, I mean, no one likes to talk about the IRS and no one likes to have a visit from the IRS. The IRS hoping to raise $200 billion over the next decade from increased enforcement. For high-earning taxpayers, most of this new audit attention will focus on three basic types of income. The first is pass-through income. That is by far the largest. About 40% of the tax cap or unpaid taxes comes from pass-throughs that are under-reporting their income. Of course, pass-throughs include partnerships, S-corps, foundations, and sole proprietorships. Now, in testimony last year, IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick listed, quote, greater scrutiny of pass-throughs as the first priority for added enforcement if they got the money. And the second is offshore transactions. A study by IRS economists found that secret offshore income accounts for $15 billion a year in unpaid taxes. The IRS said it will hire specialists in offshoring to target those particular taxes. And finally, capital gains. About three-quarters of capital gains income is earned by those with $1 million or more in income. Sales of stocks and bonds are automatically reported to the IRS, but other sales like private businesses, property, crypto, collectibles, they are not automatically reported. The audit rate for those earning more than $1 million a year has fallen by 80% over the past decade. 
and Brian, with tens of thousands of enforcement agents that are going to be brought on as part of this new funding, $80 billion over 10 years, these audit rates, especially at the top, mainly at the top, are going to start rising again. Yeah, but it's Robert, it's it's also not just at the top. And here's the thing. I know there's been a lot of scary headlines, like 80-something thousand agents coming for you. The reality is that newer agents or, or somebody who sends out a, what they call a correspondence letter. So it's not necessarily an audit, but it's like basically a letter like, we think you owe this. Right. If you disagree, I may have gotten a few of these in my day. Pay this. Don't do this. Newer auditors or newer agents focus on lower income folks because the returns are simpler, correct? I mean, to do the ones you're talking about, you need a pretty seasoned agent because you're going to be going up against, no doubt, an accountant, a lawyer, or both. That's right. When you go after these very complex audits at the top, which involve multiple layers of private companies and, to your point, lawyers that are going to fight this tooth and nail for years, they take a long time. But the return on investment to the IRS at the top is on a dollar basis, of course, much higher than the bottom. Look, we all know where the money is, right, for the IRS. It's at the top, and that's where they're going to focus their efforts. The IRS, you're right, it is easier, and they've gone after people with the earned income tax credit in recent years. As you pointed out, the audit rate for those on the lower income side has risen because of that earned income tax credit issue. But for this bill, as part of this funding, what the IRS says it's going to do is hire agents that specialize in these complex offshore private company type of audits. And so, you know, hopefully that's where they're going to put their energy and that's where the return will be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not go if after they can those find that, are, that are scraping by. A... Yeah. If, they get, if they're not, they should go to Puerto Rico, maybe check it. <laughs> or, or Portugal. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people moving. To... <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Robert Frank. All right. Appreciate it. Robert Frank can make talking taxes interesting. We appreciate it. All right. Now to another industry being affected by taxes and that new bill, the electric vehicle market. The Inflation Reduction Act is being sold as a climate bill. But here's something that you will not hear in a political soundbite. The bill may actually hurt electric car sales because it does not permit the $7,500 federal income tax credit for cars that are mostly not made in America or are over $80,000, which is many of them right now. CNBC's Mike Whalen just wrote about it, and he joins us now. And Mike, it's a great article. I posted it to my social because I don't think people realize a lot about this. And if you've locked in a deal, if you're buying a car like a Rivian, if you've locked in, you're, you're still going to be eligible for that. For, for people that are brand new to the market, there are a lot of new hurdles for them to jump, are they not? Not just the people, but the companies, which is why we've really received kind of a mixed review of the tax bill. You've got a $7,500 credit, but maybe 70% of the vehicles on sale today won't actually qualify for it. And then if you look down the road a year or two, possibly none of the vehicles will actually qualify for it because of the reliance on China and kind of where these minerals are coming up from for the batteries. So overall, the automakers have been very hesitant to actually support this until it actually got passed by the House. And then they're like, okay, we have to deal with this now. Let's try to figure out what we need to do and what would be the best plan of action to actually get these credits for our customers. Listen, I, I love this country, Mike. I've made no <laughs> shame of that. I like manufacturing here in America. I think there's an opportunity for renewables and electric cars to produce a, you know, a bunch of jobs, particularly 
in hopefully Detroit, where you are, or the South. Uh, but the reality right now is with the EV side, there's a lot of popular cars that are not made here because they don't have the supply chains, correct? Yeah, Brian, if they are made here, they cost over the threshold for the vehicles that are yeah. going to be included in this Inflation Reduction Act. So if you're looking at a Tesla, if you're looking at a Rivian, like you mentioned, if you're looking at a Lucid or any of these new vehicles, they are not going to qualify because they just cost too much. Even versions of the F-150 Lightning, which we're seeing right now, which was the first mass-produced electric pickup, probably will not be qualified for most of the models because of the price hike. Unbelievable. And the automakers and the Chevy Bolt probably will be, but once the minerals kind of go into effect, we'll see if that even qualifies at $25,000. And we, let's put this into context, too. Right now, in the second quarter, about 6% of the market were pure electric vehicles. So we're not going to talk about vehicle sales plummeting for EVs. It's a growth market. But what we are talking about is maybe a slowing or reduction over the mid to short term regarding what people can afford and what will qualify. I know people aren't going to feel sorry for anybody that can afford a $90,000 F-150 Lightning, Mike. But the reality is this. When you're reading Car and Driver magazine and hearing that, oh, you get 100 miles towing a trailer on a charge. You got to take the trailer off to recharge it. Oh, and I'm not getting the 7500 Oh, and they just raise prices. I mean, these are major hits to a market everybody says must grow. I know people have changed their mind on cars because, like, it's getting 100 miles on a charge when I'm towing my boat. No thanks. Yeah, I mean, Brian, even the Biden administration has the goal of 50% EVs by 2030. When that came out last year, that was a very optimistic kind of sales target when you talk to executives privately or even some of the trade groups were saying maybe 40, maybe but even a survey of executives had it from anywhere from 20% to 65%. Yeah. So this is still a very young industry. And this kind of reduction in the tax credit, many people see it lowering kind of the outlook for the EVs. Unbelievable. And about 40 million Americans don't have garages or own their own you know, place to put chargers. Oh, and by the way, electric cars are expensive. They're fast and fun to drive, but man, this is this is quite the blow. I know they're still trying to figure it out. It's an important article, one of the most read on CNBC.com. I posted it, Mike. Re- really appreciate you coming on the show. Talk more about it, a provision a lot of people don't realize. Thanks, Mike. All right, folks, by the way, go read Mike's article. I posted it. I'll repost it this morning as well. It's kind of like you can't believe it. They're trying to sell electric cars. They do this. Weird. And All right. On deck, stock picks to start your week off. Money manager Greg Branch is your guest next on Wex. All right, welcome back. I know it's summer. Maybe you're on vacation, listen to the podcast, but don't look away because it is another busy week on Wall Street. So let's kick off your trading day right now. We are seeing stock futures down 139, but fair values on the upside. We've got inflation data in the rearview mirror, but a huge number of retail earnings coming out this week in the Fed meeting, of course, just about a month away. Joining us now is Greg Branch, Managing Director at Veritas Financial Group, also a CNBC contributor. Greg, appreciate getting up and coming on the program, as always, my friend. Uh, what are you, We got kind of a little bit of a lull between now and the next Fed meeting, but a lot of retail earnings this week. What are you watching most closely right now? So I almost feel like we're back in January, Brian, uh, and, and I'm out on an island by myself again as uh, everyone rushes to be bullish here. Let me just set a little bit of context. I think we're in the midst of an artificial 
or a premature bull story, and it has three legs to it. Second quarter earnings came in much better than expected, admittedly. And so that give, gave rise to the first leg of the thesis that the supply chains are healing and consumer demand will remain as strong as we've seen it over the last couple of months, even though we've seen that deteriorating significantly. The jobs numbers remain really strong. So no recession is imminent because it is invariable that a recession has to occur with a weak labor market, which is also technically untrue, which we've discussed. And then the third, the third leg of the thesis, Powell himself added when he essentially in his comments gave the green light for everyone to go on and put risk back on because we had seen peacockish that you couldn't really interpret his comments any other way. And his lieutenants have since been arduously walking that back. Uh, but I think that we're in the midst of um, what's yeah. more important, I think, is that we're in the midst of this artificial bull story that unless we see really, really um, well, why? Uh, disastrous. What? We've had that. We, we, we've had a 50 percent bounce back off our lows from the year. Why do you call it artificial, Greg? A lot of people are feeling kind of semi good right now. Of course they are. That's why I call it artificial. You've always done well by, by, by buying the end of the bad news story. And that's why this is artificial. This is not the end of the bad news. We are not past peak Fed hawkishness. If you want to celebrate a you know, uh, 50 basis, 60 basis points decline in CPI uh, when food is powering 110 basis points and shelter's powering, I guess go ahead. And, and yeah, that might have been peak, but does that change what the Fed's going to do in Jackson Hole in September? It can't because this level, this level of inflation is what's disastrous, not whether it's 9.1 or 8.5, that it's not four or five. That's what's disastrous. So it doesn't change what the Fed's going to do. We're still at the precipice. We're still at the very beginning of the bad news. The recession has just begun to set in. The consumer is just beginning to lever up. This yeah. consumer spending is just beginning to deteriorate. It, it's, you okay, know, they, they talk about 0% inflation, Greg. Greg somebody, somebody said it's like you gain two pounds a month for two years, but you didn't gain any weight for June to July and now said that you're, you're thin. You know, that's kind of how we're looking at inflation. It's like some, suddenly we're game. happy that it's eight, that it's only eight and a half percent. I mean, it could take years to get down to two percent. Years. That's exactly right. And I think in the celebration over that over that 60 basis points, we kind of lost sight of that. And I'd, I'd even add to your point. Brian. remember, that's on a five point four percent from last year. Right. So that's not eight point five on a zero compare. That's eight point five on top of a prior year. 5.4. So, so the battle for the battle to really br- bring inflation yeah. in line with a level that's good for the economy and good for the American consumer is really still at its early stages. <laughs> I went to an, a I went to a national bur- uh, fast food chain yesterday, Greg. I got a got a regular hamburger. I, I'm not joking. The thing was slightly larger than a silver dollar. I actually, posted a picture next to my car key. And then people made fun of me because my car is old enough to still have a key. That's shrinkflation, and it also exists. Greg Branch, we appreciate you coming on, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Good luck with those burgers. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Janet, 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.